This is our number two of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each and every Sunday we get together, we talk about the news of the week and the events of our sometimes bizarre lives, and we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. And Leah, before we get to the Democratic side of the race to the White House 2016, uh, just a couple of other quick thoughts about what's going on on the Republican side, because believe it or not, Trump is not the only candidate. And it appears as if the in this game of bachelorette, as I've referred to it numerous times, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, the ABC longtime hit television show, The Bachelorette, is really what this Republican nominating process is about. Uh, here's how it's gone so far, basically. Uh, uh, a guy named Scott Walker looked like he was great marriage material, and The Bachelorette thought she wanted to get married and uh, gave him the first impression, Rose. Uh, but then they led into the game uh, this super rich bad boy named <laughs> Donald Trump. and uh, We'll take those every time. Right. And so Scott never even got his one-on-one date. Uh, no. And uh, instead now the Bachelorette is enamored with the bad boy and uh, can't see straight. Uh, but, you know, because it's the Bachelorette, they force her to go on other dates. Scott's still in the corner wondering what the hell just happened because uh, he never got just. To, and then, by the way, this was my concern from moment one. We started doing this show. Would Scott Walker get a full fledged date? You know, not just a cup of coffee. I wanted a full fledged date with the best dress and my legs shaved or her legs shaved. Uh, he's not going to get it. He's, well, you know, it's his own fault. No, it's not. Get out St- there. Stop it. Start doing St- something. Stop it. It's not his fault. It's all Donald Trump, which was exactly my fear when Trump started to get traction. I saw this happening from a mile away, and it's frustrating as hell, but Walker is basically done, uh, you know, barring a, a complete Trump implosion very soon. Now, as part of the Bachelorette game, uh, you know, they forced the Bachelorette to go on other dates. It appears as if the next one to get a date is Ben Carson. I love now, him. Now, I understand. It's great to love him. That's fine. Seems like a nice guy. Fantastic life story. It's awesome to have a black candidate in there. And I know how desperate many conservatives are to prove that we're not racist and to have our own black guy. Um, <laughs> folks, uh, that's all great. Um, I don't even think about the black thing. That's so funny that you should say that. It. It didn't even cross my mind. Well, good for it's you. It's weird that it, it you know, okay. it just doesn't. But here's the deal. All right. Can we be serious for just a moment here, folks? He's not president material. He's not presidential material. He's not going to win. He would get Hillary would slice and dice Bambi. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. he is Bambi. All right. He would ha- he would go. What we're looking for. OK, folks, listen up. What we're looking for is a white knight who has a special kind of armor to go into battle against the entire media industrial complex and Hillary Clinton, all right? Now, Donald Trump has certain weapons. He's got huge celebrity. He's got a lot of money. He's got balls down to his knees. Good, right? Good. (laughs) Now, there's certain points. He has to carry them in a wheelbarrow. Right. Now, there's certain weaknesses to his armor, which have me scared. Because they might be able to chop those balls off, but but <laughs> because he's got no armor right around him. But that that's but so but he's got at least something. All right, there are other candidates like Rubio and Walker who I think have fabulous armor to go into that warfare. But we don't seem to be enamored with them enough because they're boring. Um, now, Car- Carson <laughs> Carson has n- only one piece of armor, which in a rational world, if he was a Democrat, would work wonders. The color of his skin. Right. Nah, I don't think it's armor. Well, but as a Democrat, see, 
Our side doesn't understand the rules are totally different for our side, okay? You have to accept it. It sucks. It's not fair. But you must accept that those are the rules of the game. A black guy on the Democratic side can do no wrong. You get full protection. You can do and say whatever you want. You have armor from your head to your toes, and it's impenetrable, all right? As a Republican, that armor doesn't work. No, no. As a Republican, you're a target. Right. So, so Bambi, Ben Carson, is going to go in thinking, I guess, he's got some armor because he's black. He ain't got no armor. He's got, he, he is not equipped for this. He, he would be fantastic as a cabinet member or in charge of health care, whatever you yes, want to do. Yes, he would be. Fantastic. Yes, I agree. I'm great. Great. Fantastic. President? No. And but more importantly than not being a good presidential material, he's not good beat Hillary Clinton material. That's what I'm looking for. I need the white knight to have proper armor. He's got no armor. All right. He's got none. None. She would slice and dice Bambi. All right. So let's stop this before it gets too crazy. All right. It's it's almost it's crazier than Trump in a lot of ways, because at least Trump has some armor. But Carson would get destroyed. And, you know, this idea that somehow we're going to win the black vote because we have a black candidate is ridiculous. It, it, the black people have been brainwashed by the news media and the Democratic Party for too long. There's not going to be one one candidate that's going to change that because he happens to be black. All right? We have to realize that. So I like Ben Carson. He is not going to beat Hillary Clinton. And that's all that matters. You've got to beat Hillary Clinton. All right, now I went longer than I was supposed to. So what we'll do is we'll do the Democratic side when we come back. Uh, we, we, will get, we, we will get – yes, we do. <laughs> uh, we will get to other important news stories of the week uh, as we move along because we're still here for another hour and 45 minutes live. You can check out our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting.com, to check out all 16 of our stations, including our new affiliate in Washington, D.C., WWRC, where I went to school in Georgetown. Excited about that. This is the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. She is Leah Brandon. She broadcasts from Alabama where they care about guns, Jesus, and this time of year, college football. Roll Tide. I'm uh, from bro- I'm broadcasting just north of Los Angeles where people barely even care about themselves. We've got a ton to get to between now and the end of the program, but finishing up our weekly look at the race to the White House 2016, we check in with, with what's going on on the Democratic side, and specifically, of course, Hillary Clinton. Yes, well, the Clinton campaign trying to stop the downward spiral of the polls and the rising number of Americans who feel that she's untrustworthy. Clinton has virtually denied any access to reporters since the beginning of her campaign when her private email and server were discovered. However, she sat down Friday with the friendliest of networks, NBC, and Andrea Mitchell. Do you want to apologize to the American people for the choice you made? Well, it wasn't the best choice, and I certainly have said that. I will continue to say that. What does it concern you that people don't trust your answers on this? Well, it certainly doesn't make me feel good. At the end of the day, I am sorry that uh, this has been confusing to people and has raised a lot of questions. I love now, that. Wait a minute. Let's... I am sorry that it's been confusing to people. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that. Idiots! 
<laughs> you people out there couldn't understand what I was really doing here. I mean, that was, I mean, that is the most, even for Hillary, that's condescending, right? I mean, yes. that, that's as condescending as it gets. All right. <laughs> what else you got on her? Anything? Okay. So Clinton's defense so far on this, one of them, has been that Secretary of State Colin Powell also used a private email. Problem is, he also used a .gov email account, which she did not have, so that story doesn't hold water. I don't think there's any precedent for anyone just relying on a personal email system at your level of government. This was fully above board. People knew I was using a personal email. I did it for convenience. I sent emails that I thought were work-related to people's .gov accounts. The vast majority were captured by the system. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> okay. Which is interesting. Because why? Because the work-related ones had to be classified. Yeah, well, I, look, she, I mean, come no, on. No, He's no. the Secretary of State. Well, no, she's absolutely caught checkmate i mean if if facts and rationality and rules and law mean anything she is checkmated because every which way she goes there's no place for her to move and the media doesn't seem all that willing really to let her out however i'm still of the belief that without an indictment this thing will fade away and and by the general election will have been taken care of the most uh, the second most interesting thing she said other than basically calling people Um, was that she told Andrea Mitchell that she there was so many things going on in the world when she took over as Secretary of State that she didn't think about what to do with her emails. Now, this is who we want to be president of the United States. I, I'm just in this world we now live in. This wasn't something that you might take five minutes to think through uh, with classified information. It's absurd. Um, and and but again, the reality is that unless Joe Biden runs and you've predicted he will not, I'm 40, 60 that he will. Unless he runs, she's the nominee, period. End of sentence, barring indictment or Biden running. So, you know, the media will eventually get on board with her. There's there's no doubt about that. And, you know, I, I just. I, I don't see her getting indicted, and I don't even I don't even think that Biden would necessarily beat her because there's there's too many people, too many women on the Democratic side who have had their hopes held high on this for too long. They're yeah. not going to let it go. She she is too big to fail, as we have said numerous times on this. So um, yeah, look, we'll continue to cover the email portion of this thing, but. Um, you know, unless and until there's an actual indictment, that's when we see blood. Uh, I, I think that the long-term effect of this is limited, except except as part of the trust issue. And there's no question that the trust issue is incredibly important if you counter her with the proper nominee. If you know she is perceived as a liar, it's probably best to not pick somebody who might be perceived as worse than a liar. <laughs> Like a lunatic, because lunatic would, quote unquote, be trumped by liar every time. Americans would take experienced, allegedly competent liar, i.e. Richard Nixon, over lunatic every single day of the week, especially with the news media urging them to do so for almost a year. 
So that's the reality of that situation. Now, let's move on to other uh, topics, Leah, because I know how much you love talking about Hillary Clinton. Uh, Because I I predicted several weeks ago, you asked me, so is this Iran deal going to happen? And I said, yeah, it's going to happen because the news media is not going to put any pressure on the Democratic members who should have pressure put on them, especially after Chuck Schumer declared he would be against the Iran deal. And because Obama has already, by declaring it not to be a treaty, has already created a situation where the rules are on his side. Well, it turns out that that's pretty much what's going to happen. Tell us about what happened there this week. Well, this week we learned that Obama does have the votes in the Senate to pass the Iran nuclear deal. The last vote needed came from Maryland Senator Barbara Mikulski, who just happens to be retiring. Only 34 senators were needed to pass the deal. She is number 34. Interestingly, Saudi Arabia has been dead set against this deal until all of a sudden, after one visit with Obama, they've done a 180. Here's the Saudi foreign minister. It will not allow Iran to become uh, acquire a nuclear weapon. It has unprecedented and robust inspections. Okay, it will not allow Iran to become a uh, nuclear country and robust inspections. Well, that deal does not include robust inspections. In fact, the deal prevents surprise inspections. And worse, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard is in charge of doing their own inspections and giving the world community its findings. Also, should Israel have to defend itself against an Iranian attack, this deal requires the U.S., to protect Iran's facilities over Israel. There's your deal. Well, the the media and the Democratic Party, and they're usually one and the same, the media and the Democratic Party's hypocrisy on this Iran deal is so transparent, so obvious, that it's almost not even worth pointing out. And here's the proof of that. Can you imagine, Leah Brandon, if a Republican president proposed the same exact deal with Iran And Obama in the Senate came out against it, along with most of the Democratic Party. Oh, it'd be all about Obama. Right. Oh. Well, Obama will have spoken, you know, inherently, if the Democrats are against it, it must be a bad idea. I'm talking about the exact same stipulations, the exact same rules. I guarantee you, if Obama had been against it, the news media and the entire Democratic apparatus, instead of just most of it, would have immediately said this is horrendous. Because it's all about politics. It's all it is. It's all about politics. And to the media, Obama good, everybody else bad. And it, it, it is pathetic. And, you know, the perfect example, proof of how absurd this is, is not just that Chuck Schumer, respected Democratic member of the Senate, uh, came out against it, which should have created a firestorm in the media, but as I predicted, did not. But Debbie Wasserman Schultz, a, a Jewish member of, of the House, became the 15th Jewish member to come out in favor of this deal with tears in her eyes. Now, now, why do you have to have tears in your eyes if this is a good deal, right? If you're that conflicted, if, if you're almost doing a hostage video while, while saying <laughs> that you're now in favor of this deal, how is that a good sign? I, what are they getting out of it? It's all, what are the, they getting well, out of it? I don't know what they're getting behind door, back room doors, but uh, the reality is this is very different than the truth. We'll be back more on the John and Leah show.
This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. And Leah, before we move on to uh, other news of the week, I just want to finish up on the Iran deal since I was uh, rather inartful in my conclusion of the last segment. Here's the bottom line. If the news media had a soul, which they do not, when Chuck Schumer announced his opposition to the deal, that would have been the end of it. That because at that point, the news media would have put pressure on all other Democrats on the fence, especially Jewish members of the Democratic House and Senate leadership, to also be against the deal. Because how in the world could anybody have political cover to be in favor of the deal when Chuck Schumer, esteemed Democratic senator from New York, is against it? But all those rules are null and void now. Because we live in Obama world. And in Obama- yeah, and not only that, but I believe a lot of people hate Israel. You really think so? I do. You, well, certainly not in the news media, they don't. I mean, I mean, that's one of the more baffling elements of this. You know, the it's it's alleged that the Jews control the news media. That where the hell are they on this? Exactly. I, I, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, and and they can't. You know, Fifteen members of the House who are Jewish are in favor of the deal, including my good friend John Yarmouth from Louisville, Kentucky, Democratic yep. Jewish member of, of Congress. I have told John on this very program that he's going to rue the day and asked him whether or not he loses sleep over this. But you know what the reality is, Leah, and this happens so often in politics now. I think what they're banking on is that in the short run, anything that makes Obama look bad is bad. Anything that makes him look good is good. And let's face it, even those who are most pessimistic about the deal don't think that the negative elements of this are going to come to fruition next year or two years or maybe even five years from now. So let's say it happens 10 years or 15 years from now. By that time, Obama is a distant memory. Most people in Congress and the Senate aren't going to be there anymore. And the news media is not even going to remember who the hell to blame. And, oh, it, and it's certainly not going to be Democrats. So, so they're looking at it and they're going, well, the polls are mostly against us on this, but there's not going to be any repercussion in my career lifetime. So therefore, I don't need to worry about this. And that's the world we live in now because right and wrong doesn't matter. It's all about politics. It's all about what's good for me today and not even worrying about tomorrow. And that's why this Iran deal, as I told you weeks ago, is going to pass. Now we have to worry about, you know, here, here's, here will be the real tragedy. I mean, it's going to be a tragedy regardless. It is. We just don't know how big yet. But if somehow... Democrats are able to do this without Obama even having to veto anything, that would really be absurd. I mean, for him to be able to get around this when it should have to be ratified by Congress, but it's not. This is just like Obamacare. They're breaking all the regular rules because he's Obama. He's allowed to do whatever the hell he wants. The media lets him get away with it because to not would be racist, of course, right? And so we need, you know, now all the rules are upside down and there's a chance. He might not even have to veto a rejection of this treaty or whatever you want to call it, deal. They don't want to call it a treaty because otherwise— No, it's not a treaty. They're hard to pass. Right, exactly. According to John Kerry. Exactly. So uh, it's just—it's disgusting. And the key to the whole deal, the whole situation is Obama good, anything Obama's against is bad, and it's unlikely that in our recent 
short-term memory, anything bad's going to happen because of it. That, <laughs> we that, don't know that. I understand that, but the re, <laughs> but that's the reality. They're such <laughs> idiots. It could happen next year. I understand, but that's the world we now live in. All right, now, speaking of Obama, uh, mm. he, he took an interesting trip to Alaska uh, yes. this week, and the administration changed a, a, a major national landmark. Tell us about that. <laughs> Yeah, well, President Obama spent the week in Alaska basically taking selfies and continuing the transforming of America. He renamed a mountain. Mount McKinley was named for our 25th president, William McKinley, an Ohio Republican who stood for all basically that Obama is against. McKinley led America to victory in the Spanish-American War. He stuck with the gold standard, and he presided over a massive economic boom in American power. Reaction to this has been mixed, starting with Governor John Kasich. I don't know after 100 years why we're changing the name of a mountain. The Department of the Interior now explains, though, that Mount McKinley has been known to Native Alaskans as the Great One for, they say, centuries, and that renaming it Denali is just a formality. Well, and the reality of this is that this is all about global warming or climate change. He went up there at the very, very end of, I guess you call it summer, uh, you know, for a reason to show that the glaciers are shrinking, allegedly, in one small portion of a humongous state, right? I mean, there's so many layers of insanity on this whole global warming deal. But, you know, most Americans have no clue how large Alaska is. Uh, it's one of the things that got Sarah Palin in trouble, by the way. Because right. when, when she said, you know, that you can see Russia from land here in Alaska, which happens to be true, because that's how freaking big Alaska is, um, most Americans didn't understand what that meant. And when Saturday Night Live turned that into, I can see Russia from my house, everyone, ha, 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 ha. Well, and, and <laughs> she's if, an idiot. Right. Well, no, she's not an idiat. It's true. <laughs> uh, just to give you an example, you know, when I went up to, um, to Alaska to, to interview Sarah Palin after the 2008 election, it, um, there was a huge snowstorm the night that I was flying out for the big interview. And I couldn't get out of Seattle. And in total desperation, right, I tried to figure out if there was a way to drive to oh, where gosh. Or, or to go to another airport and drive from there. Long story short, <laughs> I, I Google mapped it and from to get to drive. Now, it's obviously not a straight shot, but to drive from the capital of Alaska to where Sarah Palin lived in Wasilla was almost 3,000 miles. <laughs> Three. That, that's all. That's now, like coast to coast. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it was incredibly circuitous route because there's no there are no roads. But the point the point is, Alaska is massive, and if you want to cherry pick, because you you want to show that somewhere, some place. It appears as if, boy, global warming is having an impact because glaciers are shrinking. Well, we're going to ignore the fact that we just had two incredibly brutal winters in the Midwest and the Northeast in a row. And by the way, not a real hot summer. 
I mean, whenever you haven't heard about massive heat waves, that means it's been a really rather cool summer. Now, I realize it gets hot. Of course it gets hot. It's It's summer. It's been hot in Alabama. It's summertime. It's summertime. (laughs) That's what happens. But see, this is the key to the whole global warming fraud because the world is a huge place. And when you have a huge place and you have all of these different weather systems, you just statistically, you're going to have some area that's going to give you the quote unquote evidence you want to show that things are changing. Well, guess what? The climate has always been changing, always yeah. will be changing. Glaciers always move. Sorry. It, it, well, what exact, happens? I mean, that's. For, for millions of years, Yosemite, happens? Yosemite Valley in mid to northern California was a glacier, for heaven's sakes. It yep. disappeared 10,000 years ago. Why? I guess it was global warming, except SUVs. Man, except man wasn't around at that time. I mean, please, can we use our brains? It's just so silly. And, of course, the best part of the whole trip was, did you, did you see the photographs of... Of Obama holding a, a, a salmon. Selfie stick. No, 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 no. Did you see what happened with the salmon? I did not. He was holding a salmon. By the way, in a winter jacket in in late August, early September, whatever it was, whatever the date was, and um, the the salmon spawned all over his shoes. No. I'm not kidding. Now, now, can you imagine if that had happened to Sarah Palin or George Bush? Oh, it would have been played you, over and over and you, over and over. You and would over. know about it, right? You yeah. and every other American would know about it if, in the middle of a media press of photo op, the President of the United States or Sarah Palin or George Bush was holding on to a salmon which spewed sperm all over their shoes. That's what happened. But Obama, with him, it's just, oh, isn't that funny? Let's move along, please. Because it's, exactly. em- it's embarrassing to his highness. All right, uh, more news when we come back. Uh, that you will not want to miss on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. She is Leah Brandon. Hope you're having a great holiday weekend on this Labor Day weekend, 2015. And Leah, um, Labor Day is kind of an odd holiday. Uh, We're kind of celebrating a concept rather than an event. Also, uh, I think it's kind of lost its meaning a little bit, at least... In my perception, maybe it's different in different parts of the country. To me, I thought it was about unions, wasn't it? Right. Well, yeah, that was. <laughs> but you know, those—that's another whole deal, different story. I mean, what what unions now uh, still exist? But um, but here, the reality is is this: that Labor Day, in in my perception, growing up in the, the suburbs of Philadelphia, um, meant that school began usually that Tuesday after Correct. after Labor Day. And the uh, pool was closed. And the pool was closed, and everyone came home from the Jersey Shore. My, my grandparents always used to wait one more week for the Miss America pageant you know, to happen in Atlantic City before they came <laughs> up from the Jersey Shore. That's funny. Um, yeah, that was their, their – I mean, every year that was their, that was their tradition. But to, to me, you know, at least everybody had that same communal experience of, okay, this is it. This is the end of summer. Now we begin school. Now we begin football, fall. 
that whole bit, summer's over, pool, shore, done. Um, At least here in Southern California where I live, every school system now is completely different. We've got that too. And in fact, in fact, there's about a month, not just a couple weeks, there's a month difference between when the first school systems start going back to school in fairly early August to some which still wait until after Labor Day. A few, not that many. Now, that is very disruptive, in my view, to the social fabric because no one has anything in common. And by the way, this isn't, I, I don't know how, for instance, this is not a big deal, but I don't know how, for instance, how do summer camps still survive? In, yeah, I don't know. In this, I mean, when you got that one week. Right. I mean, there's really, yeah, basically July now is all that everybody has off with regard to school. Um, and, and I just, I like things to be defined. I like knowing, okay, this is when it begins. This is when it's over. Now we move on. And it, it feels like it's lost that to me. It's just. Oh, absolutely. It is so different. It used to be June, that first week of June, everybody was out of school and no one went back until right after Labor Day. And you had this whole summer to really grow and experience things. And it just seemed like it would never end. It was fantastic. I, I don't know why we don't do that anymore, why we have to have more hours. I don't know what it is. Well, here in Southern California, part of the reason that happens, the, the shift in the calendar, and this is one of many reasons, but it's a definitely a legitimate reason. Or, well, <laughs> I don't know if it's legitimate, but it's why it happens, is that there's a two-week spring break for a lot of schools. Now, why is there a two-week spring break? Here in Southern California, it's be, it's so that many of the students can go to Mexico to go home. Oh, and, gosh. And I'm not making this up. I mean, there are many school districts, and my wife happens to be a teacher at one, that has a two-week spring break so that the kids can go back to their homeland in Mexico, or their families can. Now, uh, that sounds um, Isn't hyperbole. that what Christmas is for? Well, they get to do that for Christmas, too. So they get to do it in in December, early January, and then again in April. And so that's why that's why everything gets gets pushed back. So then in order to make that up, you got to start the school year earlier. Now, I had a extraordinary experience, an eye-popping experience uh, visiting my wife's school. She just um returned back to work as a teacher, which, of course, has completely changed our lives. I have a three-year-old daughter who just started preschool. My wife has been with her every day uh, since, obviously, uh, she was born for the last three years plus. So we've had this massive transition where my wife— You're Mr. Mom. Well, yeah, for a part of the day I am because— uh, you know, my my daughter does go to preschool, but the time when she's not in preschool, I am sort of Mr. Mom, and I'm terrible at it. And my wife, of course, who loved every second of being uh, with her daughter, uh, is now going back to work because we need a, a regular paycheck. And um, and it happens that the school where she's teaching is 99% Mexican Hispanic. And, and 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 this is interesting because it's not a city school. This is a rural school. And I, I visited her because, you know, I took my three-year-old daughter out of preschool so that she could have lunch with her mom once a week because, you know, 
helps her get through the week, I guess, both of them. Anyway, long story short, so I'm, I'm at the school, and I'm, I'm getting a sense of what's really going on here. And the best way I could describe it, and this is, this is not hyperbole, this is not exaggeration, but what I witnessed at this school, and it's a huge school, I don't know how many thousands, but definitely more than a thousand kids. This school was effectively an internment camp for future Democrats. Yeah. That's what this is. And here's why. And it's, it has nothing to do with race. I want to make this clear. Nothing to do with race. It just so happens that they're all of the same race and all of the same nationality. That, by the way, many of them were born in America, but I would venture to say that almost all of them are the children of an illegal Fence immigrant. jumpers. Right, an illegal immigrant from at least two or three generations. Within the last two or three generations, somebody in their family tree was an illegal immigrant, almost certainly. But here's the, here's the part where it's an internment camp for the Democratic Party. So you have all these kids, all the same race, all the same essential nationality. By the way, they will all go back to Mexico during that spring break and think nothing of it. So they come here and they are taught that, of course, our laws don't matter because it's perfectly appropriate to be coming here illegally. Sure. And, oh, by the way, you're going to get totally free education. That's And you're going to get fed well, all day. Well, that's where I was going with this. This is what was really <laughs> amazing. They get a fantastic breakfast and a fantastic lunch. And because so many of the kids are eligible for the the supplement, the free lunch, they don't even bother to to, to differentiate between those who are eligible and those who are not. It's carte blanche. It's for the whole school. You get totally free breakfast, totally free lunch. No one, you don't have to have, you don't have to be eligible or not. It, you know, they basically figured out that it's not worth the effort to, to sift through those who aren't eligible. And so 100% of the school, many of whom, you know, are there under sketchy circumstances, get free school, free breakfast, free lunch. And by the way, not only that, they all get, every single kid gets a full color, huge, beautiful brochure to tell them what's on the menu every single day. Now, oh I, my goodness. I have no idea how much money is involved in this. And by the way, you, so you might think, well, this school is, you know, not one of the better schools. Uh-uh. This is actually one of the best equipped schools because they're eligible for so much extra funding. They all have brand new computers. They have, oh my gosh. They, they have by far, by far the, the best educational technologies available. And the teachers are among the highest paid in the area. All of this. So, so what are these kids being taught? So, so this is where the Democratic internment camp comes in. So they're all of a race that is told you're supposed to be Democrat because you've got pigmentation in your skin, right? Oh, yes. You're, 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 you come here, and whether you're illegal or not doesn't matter, so our laws don't matter. You, you are, you're given free schooling. You're given massively tremendous resources. You get a free lunch. You get a free breakfast. You presume everything is going to be handed to you the rest Absolutely. of your life. That's the key. And and by the way, this is my wife is already seeing this. She will ask the kids to to buy, and they're not all destitute. I mean, 
So, you know, to buy like very small items, like a dollar, two dollar item, like a pencil holder, something like that, they won't do it. Of course not. Because they they presume, well, it's going to be given to me. I'm this is how this works, right? I we're in America, you get everything for free. So, so tell me how is one how is one of those however many thousand kids, I don't know how many there are, but there are tons of kids in this school. How is one of them ever going to become a conservative? Well, uh, they're not, and that's uh, why they want the border open. Yeah, I mean, well, that's exact, and that, that's <laughs> the bottom line of this whole thing. The, the Jeb Bushes of the world who believe somehow that these people can be transformed into conservatives and Republicans are delusional. Marry all the Mexicans you want, Jeb. It's not going to work. And it's not a racial issue. It's human. If you're given everything free by the government, you're going to be a socialist. And that's what my so my wife works at an internment camp for future Democrats. (laughs) That's my life. All right. Hour number three on the John and Leah show coming up next.